The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Welcome to the Ask Harry podcast. This is Harry Margolis, and this is the podcast where we interview experts on all aspects of estate planning. In this installment of Ask Harry, Harry continues his conversation with Toby Gerard on the subject of long-term care insurance. So, um, so you mentioned there are different companies and different legitimate ones. Yes. Uh, how many companies do you work with? Well, in the state of Massachusetts, um, I think we have six companies that are selling traditional long-term care insurance. That doesn't mean they're available to all of us because some companies are career or captive companies, which means they only work with their agents uh-huh. selling their product. And then you've got independent agents that are allowed to s- sell other products. Um, what I feel is we are aware of those other products, even that are sold by the career and captive agents. And we can certainly with our software know what they're going to be to add mm-hmm. them into the mix. But we're going to really focus on the companies that we can represent as independent agents. And so do you get quotes for all the companies and compare them when anyone's uh, applying for, for we benefits? We do. We look mean, at... insurance. Yeah, I, a part of it is it starts with medical prequalification. Mm-hmm. And once you know medically if there's any insurability issues or not, you do that by going back to your companies. And that allows you then to know who you're going to put on the spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. Because not every company has the same appetite for the same health concern. Mm-hmm. You might have find one company that feels totally differently about cancer than another company, or one company that might have different bone density scores that are acceptable than another company. So they're not all working with the same data? Well, they're working with their claims data Uh and their underwriting guide. And they can do and really get on whatever risk they want and they Mm -hmm. can get off of. You know, we have one company that might take someone who's had one stroke with no residual damage, another company that's not even interested in looking at someone with a stroke. So you really do... I believe you've, you've got to know your companies and you've got to know their underwriting guides because, you know, there may be only one market for a person with a particular health issue. Interesting. I, I sort of think in this day, if there's, a, if there's common data and with AI, they can all, yeah. would all come to the same conclusion. But they, don't, not. they don't huh. come to the same conclusion and they don't necessarily charge the same rate. You know, mm-hmm. one, one might still give the best health. Someone might consider it a standard risk. Yeah. So. It's important, you know, you have a fiduciary responsibility to do what's best for your client, and that's Absolutely. why you need to serve the market. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple times uh, traditional policies and hybrid policies. Right. So can you explain the difference and what that's all about? Sure, sure. So when the market started again, we were talking traditional long-term care insurance. And traditional long-term care insurance, the easiest way to explain it, because we can get caught up in our overwhelming terms. Yeah. It really is just another form of pure insurance, like auto, home, personal umbrella, workers' comp. It You pay a premium, you transfer the risk, and the insurance company is willing to provide some degree of coverage for, for your mm-hmm. long-term care. You don't get anything at the end of the rainbow. If you drive a car for 60 years, you're not going to get a check. Same thing if you own a home for 40 years. This is very much the same. If you mm-hmm. step into this at 55 and you die at 85, and you've never used it, it did its job. Congratulations. Exactly. Well done. Yeah. Um, If you use it, that's good news, too, you know, for the person that you paid that premium and you you got some worth out of it. Most of my clients would prefer to never have a claim. Right. They don't want to be in an auto collision. They don't want their house to have a flood, you know, internally because the toilet overflowed. They don't want to use their long-term care insurance. So 
that is the traditional market and that is the market that's been prevalent for the longest time. Depending on the statistics as to who you read, they would say that that market is waning so significantly that it's hmm. down to 20% of all sales. Wow. I don't find that to be the case. We're probably 50-50. Huh, okay. So where did the market go? I think the profile of what people were looking for changed. People did want to get something back. They wanted to drive that car for all those years <laughs> and get a check. And they wanted to know if their toilet ever, you know, didn't overflow, they got a check. Yeah. And they went to the hybrid. And the hybrid is a combination, like any time you talk about a hybrid, you're m merging together two different things. You're merging together, in most cases, long-term care insurance with life insurance. Mm -hmm. And you're giving people both. So that if they don't use it for long-term care, there's a death benefit in the form of life insurance for whoever are their beneficiaries. And they also have some options to get the premium back if they change their mind. Mm -hmm. So the hybrid buyer is a different animal than the pure insurance traditional buyer because it is a different product. It comes up, though, a lot now with both financial advisors and estate attorneys. I find we mention both mm -hmm. to all clients because it's not my job to self-select. I feel that everybody deserves the right to know which products are out there to fund this risk if they want to fund the risk because it's optional, mm -hmm. and we need to explain both. Um, but they are funded differently. You know, again, traditional is more pay-as-you-go, right. like you do your other insurances. There are some ways with some companies to pay it up early, but most of it is ongoing, pay-as-you-go, and the only time it stops is if you go on claim, your premium is waived, or mm -hmm. if you die. Mm -hmm. With hybrid, most of the products that are geared today are for a single premium, one, hmm. it, one and done. Uh -huh. You pay one premium, and you never have to look at it again. Uh-huh. Or you can accelerate a payment over five years or 10 years, maybe to age 65. And some of them even have an ongoing pay. But the thrust of the market is one and done. And that buyer is going to tend to be a more affluent buyer. Because mm -hmm. you know, they have the cash on hand to just write a check. Right. Or they can reposition the assets. Or, like we discussed earlier, they could be somebody that invested in you know, life insurance way back when that has right. a cash value. And now they're sitting on significant cash value, and they're like, how can I kind of make that cash value work within the hybrid? And you're allowed, as you know, uh, to do something called a 1035 exchange, a 1035 mm -hmm. exchange, which means you take that cash value with no tax implications, you move it into the hybrid, and then you only have to add in a little bit more of your own funds to it. So you've repurposed your cash value life insurance. And you can do that because the hybrid is, is classified as a life insurance product? Correct. It's on a life insurance platform where the long-term care is still a, a rider. So life to life, you can 1035 exchange with no tax implications. And we see a lot of that. People get into their early 60s, kids are grown. It's like, what the heck am I holding on to this for? Mm -hmm. you know, I don't need it, but I do need something else in the way of long-term care coverage. So the advisor will say, you might want to look at both traditional and the hybrid. So the long-term care is uh, a portion of that is really a, a way of, in effect, drawing down the, the cash value of the life insurance. Exactly. Exactly. Dollar for dollar, you're drawing down initially on the death benefit, and then you've got an, an extension of um, long-term care. Mm -hmm. So you now the way 
a lot of them are classified and they break down the premium, there is even now with some of the hybrids, some deductibility, which um, mm -hmm. not all of the initial hybrids had that. Yeah. But now, just like with traditional long-term care where it's deductible for business owners and those who itemize their medical expenses, the hybrid has some degree of deductibility the same way. Mm -hmm. So I've, I found that very few people uh, can get any advantage of the um, deductibility for um, itemizing your medical expenses because you have to exceed 10% of right, your adjusted right. gross income and to deduct anything. Correct. Um, but, but explain the business benefit, how right. that works. Right. So long-term care insurance became deductible with the HIPAA legislation in 1197. So most accountants and actually most advisors know about the deductibility. They may not know the exact dollar amount. But every year, um, the IRS puts out a chart, and it's in 10-year age bands. Um, you know, it might be, um, you know, 41 to 50, 51 to 60, 61 to 70, and then 71 and over. And I would say it's a substantial deduction by the time you get to be 61. Mm -hmm. You're looking at, like, $4,200. Mm -hmm. And then when you get to be over 70, it's like, you know, $5,600 or something like that. Assuming your premium's that high. Correct. You yeah. can, it's up to. You yeah. don't get that flat right. dollar amount. It's up to. So if my right. premium, if I'm 62 and my deductible is 4200 my premium's 35 I get to take 35 So it is important. But only if you have enough medical expenses to exceed uh, it's, it's just another medical deduction. It's considered part of the self-employed health insurance deduction for a business owner. Oh, okay, so, it's so I'm, separate. I'm okay. Wait, so I'm not following this. Okay. So oh. it's separate from those who just itemize that or oh, okay. personally itemize. This is an actual deduction that you could take as, okay. a, as a business owner, mm -hmm. um, depending upon how your business is organized, whether it's sole proprietorship, um, partnership, LLC, S-Corp, or mm -hmm. C-Corp, there's a certain amount of deductibility that's available to you based upon your age. Mm -hmm. And with C-Corps, the premium is completely deductible, so it doesn't matter about your age. So it's just another health insurance deduction. Yes. And it's... Um, um, and, and there's no 10% of AGI like Nothing. there is for health care. Nothing. Nothing huh. like that. So I think business owners need to know about it. Yeah, I, I think you're getting like a little bit of a double tap if you can run the premium through your business, at least while you're, while you're working. Mm -hmm. um, and again, the C-Corp is going to have the ro most robust amount, but everybody else, according to their age, is in a 10-year age cohort. They're going to get a significant deduction once they hit 61 Prior to that, you know, when they're there, 51 to 60, I think it's like fifteen or $1,600 a year. It's not huge. Yeah. So the business needs to pay the premium, though, yes, to, for this to work. Yes, the business pays the premium. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we'll have to talk to our accountant about that. I think that's that's important. <laughs> I know we've been doing it, so it's all good. It's all good. So um, we've, we've had some clients who have had older policies who have uh, started to need long-term care and been declined for one reason or another. Mm. And uh, some, because they're older policies that just said they paid for nursing homes and they happen to be in assisted living facilities. Um, and, uh, or, but, but often those policies have a provision in them for alternative types of care, right. which we would right. always argue assisted living facility right. qualifies for. We've also had insurance companies, one in particular, which is out of business, but um, mm. it still has some uh, these old policies out there and some fun to pay them that just run people through an incredible mill. So they, yes. they, they, they 
demand more verifications, yes. and then they lose them, yes. and then you call again, yes. and you talk to somebody else, yes. and it goes around in circles. Yes. And uh, um, so, first of all, I'd like to know that those companies are no longer selling <laughs> any, any policies. And that is that is true. There's a lot of these companies, they, they have a closed book. I mean, they're administering their, their claims, or, or, or we're hoping they're administering <laughs> yeah. their claims rather than just declining them. But yes, it, you know, it is difficult with a good company. You know, you you shouldn't have any trouble. I will say, the the most arduous part of the journey is getting the elimination period satisfied in in the mm-hmm. beginning. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's just because family doesn't really understand what that means. But some of it goes back to the basic definition of what is chronically ill, which mm-hmm. is the definition that we work under. I mean, the chronically ill definition is in everyone's policy. And, you know, to keep it simple, I always say there's a physical path and there's a cognitive path. It's going to go one or the other. If it's cognitive, it's pretty easy because it's going to have to be, in most cases, a diagnosis in their medical records of severe severe cognitive impairment. And they're going to, you know, or they should have thought about going to a neurologist and having the standardized testing done, because that's going to support the ease of a claim being Mm -hmm. approved. Just going to your PCP and saying, I've known your mother for 35 years, that isn't going to cut it. They're going to be looking for standardized data and testing. Uh On the other side of the fence, you've got the physical, which is generally, um, depending upon when the policy was written, probably going to be two out of six activities of daily living. And Generally, you're talking bathing, continence, dressing, eating, toileting, and transferring. Mm-hmm. Now, some of the earlier policies might have a definition of medical necessity. We, we can certainly talk about. But the definition of a claim is a strong definition. And it's not that, you know, my dad died and my mom is depressed. Mm-hmm. There's no food in the fridge. And her mobility isn't as great as it used to be. And sometimes she forgets her meds. The company is always going to fall back upon is the person eligible for benefits? And to determine that, did they meet this criteria of mm-hmm. chronically ill? So when I talk with people on the phone, I always say, tell me what's going on. And it might be one ADL or it might be some mild cognitive impairment. It could be a whole bunch of things. But if they do try to file and that so those supports are not in their medical records, mm-hmm. it's going to be hard to get a claim approved. It's going to be hard. So you have to qualify and you have to have proof that you Absolutely. qualify. Absolutely, yes. yes. Some companies will send out a nurse mm-hmm. to do a face-to-face assessment. Some of them have gone to really relying upon intake by phone, medical records, you know, talking with the family, talking if possible with the insured. Um, they all do it a little differently. At one time, it, there was always a nurse that went out, but now I don't know that that's as easy as it used to be. So they're relying strongly upon medical records. So... I think it's really, really important that people make sure that their history is documented in their medical records of what's going on, um, especially if you're trying to be that adult child that's trying to mm-hmm. advocate to get a claim paid. Know that th- those medical appointments are, are critical. So how do you trigger the elimination period? I mean, do you, does it, you just, when you apply, you show that the person, that the need for assistance goes back 100 days or 90 days, or do you have to apply to start the 90 days? So every company is different and their language is different Mm -hmm. because some elimination periods are what they call service day and some are calendar day. You know, the older Mm -hmm. policies have service day. Service day means you need to have shown that care was, you know, received and paid for 
for 90 days, let's say. Calendar days means you may start the clock with one day of paid care, but if you can cobble together 89 more days with friends and family and neighbors or maybe a little bit of paid care, we're going to make it to the 90 days. Mm -hmm. Some will go retroactive. You know, if, if they get the medical records or the nurse comes out and they see that care was even already being brought in for the same reason they're filing the claim, they may go retroactively. They could go re retroactively back a significant amount of time. Some only go proactively. Claim gets approved and they go forward. I tell people from the time they feel that they're going to need to use this policy, don't not bring in care if you need care. Mm -hmm. Don't don't hold off uh -huh. because disasters happen. Um, if the company can go back, they will. Yeah. If they can't, then they'll. You, know, you certainly did the right thing, and they'll they'll go forward mm -hmm. from there. What's the appeal process if there's any any issues here? Um, so the so there's a couple of different things. One of another industry that has cropped up is claims adjudication. There uh -huh. are some companies, and you know, you alluded. We may even be talking about the same company. Sometimes you're just going to be dealing with an impossible company, mm -hmm. and we don't like that to happen. But um, there there is at least one that I'm aware of that is incredibly difficult, and they do lose everything. You may wind up actually having to have someone adjudicate that claim, and there are companies that will take that on. Some do it on an hourly basis. Some do it on a flat fee basis. Sometimes you wind up referring that out to an attorney that mm -hmm. just deals with those kind of things. We don't like to think it's going to get to that. But the appeal process is, you know, based upon why you were declined, you're going to need to provide supportive docu documentation if the person's in assisted living, maybe letters from their caregiver notes, doctor's notes and things like that to appeal. But it has to be, you know, new data that wasn't for the reason that it was turned down or maybe the reason it was turned down is incorrect mm -hmm. and you're going to need to supply that yeah. data. Yeah. I should say that we were successful in the cases we had in our office. Mm -hmm. We've had where the company that I guess won't be named yes. uh, was denying claims. First, we tried to just take over mm -hmm. um, submitting the evidence. The, the receipts the, and everything. Yeah, and the verification documentation. documentation because um, the family's overwhelmed. Right. I mean, they're trying to take care of their parent right. at the same time they're right. dealing with all, all this stuff. Um, but we were no more successful. But then we sent a 93A letter, a consumer protection claim, and then I guess that bumped it up, and we got a response. And, got and, uh, and they yeah. not only uh, provided coverage, but they reimbursed the clients for the attorney's fees. Excellent. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. it's too bad it had to go that far. It, it, it is, but. and I've gotten involved in some claims. It's not my area that I like to be. I don't, it's not, it's just not an area, but I have gotten involved in some claims. Certainly when they're my own clients, you're going to steer them in the right direction, and that's our responsibility. But for outsiders that are non-clients, we oftentimes get referrals. Could you help? You know, mm -hmm. and, and we'll take it on a little bit, but yeah. then you know, just to kind of find out what's going on. But then, it, if it really needs to be bumped up to another level, I will mention to them the firms that I know that do you know claims adjudication. Yeah. So the last question is: uh, We talked about what's available in Massachusetts. Yes. But what happens if I um, buy this policy in Massachusetts and then move to Wyoming or, or Mexico. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, can I, is the policy still good? Can I still get, uh, get benefits paid? Sure. So the policies are portable. And again, different definitions of international coverage exist and different policies depend upon when they're written. I always say to people with international coverage, like Mexico, or it could be someone says, I'm going to move back to France where I come mm -hmm. from, or Germany or Spain or Israel. 
I think on the front end, it's important to say to people, you know, you're here now in Massachusetts, but where are you considering retiring? They might say, well, we have a second home in Arizona. We have a home in Tuscany. Whatever it happens to be, we need to consider that in our recommendation when we're looking at the companies because how important is that international coverage? Mm -hmm. um, all policies are portable within the United States. Mm -hmm. um, the difference is you will get a lot more bang for your buck if you move to other parts of the United States where it's warmer. Yeah because our cost of care here is so incredibly high. So to your point earlier about that $200 a day policy right. and maybe using $100 a day in Florida or Arizona or New Mexico, it's going to last longer. So you did a good thing getting it here because it's going to provide more benefits when you take it to one of the sunny states. But if we decide we, we prefer Mexico or Tuscany or Costa yeah. Rica, we really should look at the policy. You definitely want to look at the language. Some of the early policies actually named the countries where they would provide coverage uh -huh. internationally. Now they don't do that. They might say, we'll give you a year of coverage um, out of country, but then you need to come back. They might say, we'll give you 25% of your entire benefit, but no more than 25%. And now we have one hybrid company that says they have 100% international coverage, which is the first of that ilk. Mm -hmm. So if I have citizens of the world or people that have multiple homes who are very affluent, that hybrid might be on the top of my list from a priority standpoint where international coverage is the most important thing. So a lot of it is when you're t working with clients, you know, what what's the priority of um, their goals? You know, if their goal is to get back to France, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we made sure that that can happen right. for them. Right. So just like everything else in life these days, nothing is simple. Nothing is simple, but I do find that long-term care insurance can be made simple to people in under an hour. I think uh -huh. what happens is agents overwhelm people with too mm -hmm. much information. It is not all that difficult, and I, I, my goal is always to make it manageable in under an hour. And people say, oh, yeah, now I understand it, and I understand what the trade-offs are. So I think that is our goal as specialists, any specialist, is to simplify it, not make it so that it's such a maze that people walk away from it because they were too confused. Then if people need to buy it, we need to make it simple. If people aren't buying it but they should have it, then we did, didn't do our job. Very good. Well, thank you very much, Toby. This my, is very helpful. My pleasure, Harry. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Ask Harry podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends and colleagues. If you have questions about estate planning, you can find answers at askharry.info. And if you don't find your answer there, you can post a question and I will respond to it. You can also subscribe and listen to future episodes on iTunes. If you're interested in Harry's book, Get Your Ducks in a Row, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Estate Planning, please visit margolis.com. That's M-A-R-G-O-L-I-S.com. Ask Harry is a production of pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network.